Welcome to the Greener Way podcast. I'm your host and managing editor of FS Sustainability, Rachel Allenbacus. In this episode, brought to you by First Centier Investors, we'll be discussing how environmental, social, and governance issues play in credit strategies. First Centier Investors Senior Portfolio Manager Global Credit, Craig Morabito, starts by explaining the role of material ESG issues on credit risk assessments. We uh, monitor every single credit that we have. We assign an internal credit risk assessment to those to those credits. Um, and ESG integration forms a material part of that overall credit assessment. We create uh, internal ESG ratings and ESG trajectories for those credits. Uh, and the impact on that overall credit risk assessment is quite material. Uh, for example, when we rate a credit below the market, 60% of the time, it's also because they have a high or very high internal ESG risk assessment. And then on the flip side, when we rate a credit higher than the broad market, 30% of the time, it's because it has a very low or low ESG risk assessment attached to that. So that integration into our internal credit risk assessment is quite material. We, we've been doing it for, for over a decade. We've learned a lot. Um, and, and we really do think that there are quite significant benefits on the risk side. So we do think it provides a level of protection over and above just a fundamental balance sheet credit assessment. I would say opportunistically wise, I think more recently, uh, there have been alpha opportunities from focusing on on credits that have good ESG risk profiles or that manage ESG risk well. Um, and I think that has actually played out in, in the broad capital markets. I'm happy to talk about the sort of different parts of the market. But, you know, if you do look at tobacco or fossil fuel credits broadly, um, they've underperformed uh, the broad market for their stated credit risk. Um, so there are opportunities. And, and, and I think, you know, increasingly as, you know, investors more broadly focus on good ESG risk profiles, the weight of money argument will bid prices higher. That's interesting. And when we're talking about, Craig, let's just be really transparent for the listeners. Are we talking about uh, corporate credit and sovereign credit? Or are we talking about predominantly the corporate space? I predominantly focus on the on the corporate space. In yeah. the the credit market, there are government agencies, um, mm -hmm. and and their ESG risk profile is very much tied to the sovereign space. Um, and mm -hmm. I'm sure many of us in the audience know that sovereign space is really hard to 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 get your head around. Uh, the, mm -hmm. the way we are thinking about uh, sovereign ESG risk is very much similar to credits or corporates in that mm -hmm. there's a governance structure as in the politics and their they're binding drivers of of what they might do and might not do and how that changes over time as well as the just the outcomes so that the social or the environmental outcomes of any one policy over over time understood excellent um so craig are you able to use the the tools of being an active owner uh, when it comes to investing in in, in corporate credit um, you know, we focus a lot on talking about active ownership, like, you know, voting proxies, which clearly doesn't work in the credit market, but engagement. 
uh, predominantly as well. Do you use engagement um, as a tool in credit and how, where do you intervene in terms of that? It's a, it's a great question. And, and considering, you know, credit isn't as focused on when it does come to engagement because we don't have the, the shareholder voting power, but what we do have is the financing pow uh, power and, and mm. corporates uh, raise a, a lot of, of their, their balance sheet funding in, mm. in debt markets. Uh, so there's a lot of power in that. Uh, now it's fair to say that, um, central banks have provided liquidity to all markets and therefore funding has been fairly easy to get in the last decade or so. I'm not saying easy, but easier than may have otherwise been the case. Now that's changing, mm. obviously. The central banks are pulling mm -hmm. away the punch bowl, as it were. Mm -hmm. So that will provide debt investors with a great opportunity when refinancing comes up and, and obviously bonds mature. Um, mm -hmm. They might have a three-year or five-year, but they do mature. It's a great time to, to also engage. There's yearly engagements, mm -hmm. but this refinancing can really put a bit of pressure if needed onto a corporate to, to enhance um, their ESG profile if necessary, um, and focus mm -hmm. on anything specific. Uh, a development in the debt markets are the sustainable linked um, bonds or, or, or loans. Mm. I think that's a great development. I think, you know, having challenging uh, goals is important and having relevant goals is important. And we're at early stages of making sure that that's the case. But, but the idea really does make sense because when it does come to that refinancing moment, it's a nice clean structure to be able to put forward to a, to a corporate hey, this is where I need you to get to for me to provide funding to you right now. Interesting, interesting. And so on that, let's you're, you're reading my mind because I did want to ask you about uh, that that broad swathe of sustainability-linked okay, uh, credit, whether it's, you know, uh, green bonds, sustainable-linked bonds, social bonds. Where is the market for that currently? And, and does this sort of broad swathe of linked um, issuance on the corporate side, is it deep enough and, and sort of mature enough to figure strongly in your portfolio strategies, Craig? Uh, I think the answer is yes. Uh, in terms of the, the market's development, as I mentioned, sustainable linked uh, bonds or, or loans, uh, I still think are at the early stages. Um, and, and I think that um, I think more work can be done to, to set those stronger five-year type goals uh, or higher uh, objective type goals. Uh, data mm -hmm. plays a part in that as well. Um, if you've got five to 10 years worth of data, it's a lot easier to sort of set trajectories and, and have something robust there. You know, we're at the early stage of the, the data uplift. Um, so that makes it a little bit more challenging to set longer term trajectories, but it's still possible. Mm. Um, and, and there's other factors that you can, you can put into those, those objectives. And, and I will say, and I know corporates might find it really upsetting not to achieve an objective and, and it will feel that that might impact them negatively. But on the flip side, that's where engagement comes in. That's where ongoing discussions come, come into the play. You know, if you've set a, a, an objective um, and it's, you know, quite significant and it is a stretch objective and you've got a good strategy that everybody's supporting and, and therefore you're getting the funding, that, that's a mm. positive sign. Now, along mm. the way, um, you know, just like investments, some, you know, may fail over time, some might succeed, you, two steps forward, one step back type approach. Mm -hmm. You want to get there in the end. So for mine, um, that engagement along the way will help, I guess, give the, the corporates comfort that 
the broad financing will continue to be there as long as they're doing what's necessary. I mean, I think a great example will be uh, or what we're seeing in the, the European market where the economy is, is going a little bit poorly at the moment, earnings are going to take a hit. That might mean that certain capital expenditure plans can't be put in place in the next year, which might mean that shorter-term goals might be at risk of not being achieved. But that doesn't mm-hmm. mean that in a year or two years' time that they can't put in measures to, to try to overcome that so that mm-hmm. when the refinancing date comes or when that sustainable objective um, date is hit, that there won't be any negative market consequences. So let's turn to a specific facet of of ESG and and how this plays out um, in terms of your credit strategies at First NTA Investors, Craig. Um, net zero and climate change. Clearly, um, we're headed. We're in the critical decade in terms of getting results underway in terms of that that adaptation and transition to net zero. Um, we're just about at that point where we're at almost at the seven years out mark, uh, which marks an interesting alignment for future issuance. How do you evaluate net zero, um, either broad transition of economy, specific goals of companies that have set net zero targets, and how they play into credit strategies, both that wider sustainably linked, oh, that narrow sustainably linked bond space, and wider evaluation of mainstream credit? So we, we take a two-pronged approach to, to net zero in our credit portfolios. The first part is uh, an internal assessment of the net zero alignment of every single mm-hmm. corporate. Um, and we mm-hmm. use the uh, IIGCC framework, the Institutional Investments Group for Climate Change. And yeah, that's the, the European domicile correct. Just, uh, collaborative body, yeah? That's correct. So we use that framework to, to provide an internal uh, net zero alignment. We also have data providers that also provide input to that process and just overall portfolio metrics. Um, and then in addition to that, we've set uh, portfolio level targets for the alignment ranks. And what they do is they rush it up over time. Mm-hmm. So they mm-hmm. increase 2030, 2040, and 2050. Uh, for mm. example, uh, 50% of the portfolio needs to be aligned by 2030, and that ratchets up to 100% by 2040, with by 2050, mm. the entire portfolio having achieved net zero alignment of a one and a half degree. And how are you? How does this play out in terms of decision making? Um, it, you know, you touched on the data question before. Uh, and you know, is the lack of perfect data an enemy of good results in this case? Again, considering we assess internally every single credit at FSI, that that gives us enough information in terms of mm-hmm. the broad universe. There's, there's more data that's required. But again, mm. the global credit universe is thousands and thousands of issuers. So to be able to build a portfolio from, from the credits uh, and the companies that have that data is still sufficient at this point in time. Mm. Um, there is definitely a little bit more traction needed in, and time needed to, to continually assess those, those objectives and, and whether they are achieving the goals that they've set out. Um, but in a market context, it's still very much possible. Um, and then in, in a, when a building a portfolio, particularly at First Centre, where we do the work ourselves, uh, we found it quite appealing and, and quite comforting. Um, and I think that the other most important part about this is, you know, being a bottom-up investor, you still do look at portfolio level risks. Right? It's a very important part to, to still take that into account. And that's where portfolio targets really do help. You know, you, you're picking those individual names and making sure that they make sense for the portfolio. But at the portfolio level, you're saying, well, I don't want to be taking too much risk here, or I need to limit the amount of not aligned uh, credits that I'm adding to the portfolio, for example. 
Craig Morabito for Sentier Investors. These considerations also impact on how super funds manage their risks and opportunities. Active Super's head of responsible investment, Moya Yip, explains that the $13.5 billion fund takes a systematic, evidence-based approach to managing ESG risks in their internally managed portfolios and plays an integral role in how they select and monitor their external managers as well. In the area of environmental consideration, We could, for example, be looking at how geographically diverse housing exposure is to, for example, flood and fire, and then hence levels of um, hazard insurance that's in place. Um, In the area of social consideration, we look to the theme of diversity and inclusion. So we'll be looking for policy of that particular uh, counterparty and then measuring statistics. So the companies that we invest in. Uh, which we can look at from year to year. The other area is in modern slavery. We've integrated that into our review. Um, And so we feel that's an important part of the review. Uh, We are looking at how managers look at that from a risk perspective, because we've always wanted to look at um, monitoring that. Uh, We also, from a fund perspective, have a modern slavery statement here. So we understand the process for looking at those risks. So those social aspects we are building into our integration process and looking at how our counterparties are looking at that um, from the environmental and the social aspect side. Is it possible to tease out um, whether or not poor performance or outperformance on environmental and social factors leads to things like increased risk of default? Or are you looking at this sort of from the lens of reputational risk, i.e., you know, as a steward of retirees? Uh, retirement savings or members' retirement savings, it's important to be investing in line with your policies. Absolutely. It's both of those things. Uh, So we look at the risk assessment. And as I said, we are rating our managers on a spectrum from laggard to leader. And because uh, it's it's quite a large process across all different asset classes, it's different and specifically different for credit. Um, But then we are correlating that risk assessment with return. So what you will see generally is that good risk assessment delivers long-term sustainable outperformance. Those leaders in ESG actually deliver very strong returns. We've developed that uh, return um, rating over time. It's a weighted active return. And we have data sets now because we've had these managers in place for many years. It functions a lot like our empirical research um, mm. and, and it's it's very interesting. And it does, you know, it, it proves that it does work um, mm. over time, and that's what we feel is very important to deliver that for our, for our members. So reputational risk is is combined within that ESG risk assessment. That's a non-financial risk assessment which is made into a quantifiable score uh, for mm. us. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. It's I love I, one of the things I love the most about this space is watching the development of what heretofore has been considered non-financial or you know just quantitative qualitative and to see how it becomes translated into actionable metrics is um it's so fascinating. Um so you mentioned just before that um you know credit behaves differently. Um and you know, I know that uh Active Super is an active manager in terms of its stewardship obligations. Um do, do the tools of active ownership, such as engagement, of, uh, matter differently when we're coming to credit portfolios? And do you use the tools of engagement at all? Yes, we do. So definitely it does feature. Um, so in direct lending, evaluation of ESG 
can occur uh, in the pre-investment or due diligence phase. And that could include, for example, looking at exclusionary screening, so your negative screening. Um, managers can, for example, develop their own ESG metrics. So, so um, for example, assessing ESG maturity of a borrower. So looking at the policies of that particular entity and then developing their own internal rating systems, just like MSCI or other ratings agencies for that particular um, entity. So the other interesting aspect in credit, which is different to the other areas, is covenant compliance and pricing incentives that can be built in with ESG KPIs or metrics. So a lender can, for example, set specified targets um, and interest rate incentives into loan documentation, um, such as, you know, an increase in renewable energy use or a decrease in, in, in um, greenhouse gas emissions. And then these metrics they can be measured. So that provides a basis for us and engagement over time. It's measurable. Um, so we can look at improvement over time. Um, there's also another manager, one of our managers deploys AI. So using artificial mm. intelligence to pick up on ESG occurrences like, you know, um, human rights abuses or cyber attacks or even fatalities um, in certain industries. So engagement is definitely possible um, and, and, and that's how we approach it. Uh, looking for those examples uh, when we do our ESG reviews. Do sustainability-linked uh, loans and sustainability-linked bonds feature into your strategies, Moya? And how do you go about establishing then um, that those lending covenants or those those thresholds within the bonds yes. um, are both stretch yeah. targets and sort of things that can be achieved? Yeah, so we've just we've done a big deep dive into the green bonds area. So we we own all of those types of bonds and certainly sustainability sustainability linked bonds we have and we've actually asked for now impact measurement within that area we think it's very important to look at um, that in terms of what that bond is achieving we want to be able to tell our members that you know their their money is as being invested with impact but the question now is how to measure that impact you know whether that's through the lens of SDGs which is where we started or particular other metrics um, we have also started to ask for avoided emissions. So avoided emissions or scope four information, which is difficult to measure, but we think that's really important um, to be able to, to tell our members that by having these types of investments, actually you are avoiding those emission, emissions going into the atmosphere. Um, so, so what would be, an, I'm curious, what's, the, what's an example of an avoided emission or a scope for emission? Yeah, so for example, you may have um, a renewable energy asset and you mm -hmm. can say that you avoid it by, by having this particular asset that creates this energy, you avoided carbon dioxide tonnage going into the atmosphere. Um, okay. But it's, you know, something very much in its infancy, it's difficult to measure uh, there are no standards around this, but we think it's important to ask our managers. So we've recently done a deep dive into the green bonds um, area for which we hold um, a sleeve within the fixed income uh, area. Um, and, and we're also looking at the treatment of that within our net zero modelling um, and net zero emissions. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, I think uh, Active Super was sort of a, at the vanguard of investing in green bonds in the first place, uh, That's sort of. Very early on. That's, that's correct. And, and we hope to do more of it um, as we develop mm. the methodology for its treatment um, within, within our net zero modelling. 
Now, that very neatly brings me into my next question, Moya, because earlier this year, um, you briefed me on some very significant net zero work you'd done over your entire fixed income portfolio. Um, And I was very respectful of the level of transparency um, and discussion that you brought to this review. How does Active Super think about its net zero activities in its fixed income and credit uh, portfolios? And, And can you walk us through a little bit of that? that process of that deep dive? Yeah, so no, lenders definitely take into account ESG considerations in their investment decision-making and their deal documentation, but that one step further is driving ESG improvement. So we've focused very much on climate risk since 2009. We've put restrictions in place since 2014, and then we made that commitment to being net zero by at least 2050. And so um, at Active Super, it's it's a priority for us um, in building this, this uh, net zero model. And so hence, we have started to build that net zero question into our engagement with all of our fund managers and for our investment. It's certainly different within each asset class. Um, and if we were going to speak specifically to this uh, credit sleeve, uh, the engagement you know, has started and it's in its infancy. Um, it's difficult, but it's certainly something that we want to put on the radar of all of our fund managers to be looking at the net zero commitment because, of course, the faster they get to net zero, the faster we get to net zero. Um, so it's very much in its infancy. Um, the measurement and collection of information is is difficult, but we think it's really important that we ask the question. And some fund managers are advanced in this space and are um, measuring the emissions and doing the work and disclosing accordingly. That sort of brings about behavioural change. Once we ask for it and we can measure it, that's going to change. Um, it's certainly very different in, in a credit space. Um, in the fixed income space, of course, that's about methodology as well and something that we're continuing to evolve. We've certainly um, you know, looked at the latest research and we continue to stay abreast of the, the most current research to, you know, build out that methodology. Um, That's in place for equities, it's in place for fixed income. Um, It's evolving in fixed income, certainly, you know, for example, in green bonds, there's methodology Mm. that we're developing there. And hence the Mm. requirement to do a deep dive into what fund managers can provide in terms of impact and emissions and avoided emissions um, going forward. So there's certainly a lot more work to do in net zero. You've been listening to Craig Morabito and Moya Yip. We hope you enjoyed today's discussion, which was brought to you by First Centier Investors. Thanks for listening to the Gruner Way podcast. If you liked today's show, remember to rate and review us on your podcast platform and make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss an episode. I'm Rachel Allen Backus. The Gruner Way podcast is a product of FS Sustainability, a show about people, the planet, and investing in our collective future. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. The Greener Way podcast gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by discussing numerous financial sustainable options and our featured guests. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of The Greener Way are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. FS Sustainability operates under an Australian Financial Service License and the exemption made available under the Corporations Act 2001 in respect to any information or advice given. 
Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement, and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the FS Sustainability website, fssustainability.com.au.